Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Now, since the start of the pandemic, we spent quite a lot of time talking about the merits and disadvantages of working from home. Because for many of us, that's the way we've spent much of our working time this year. But this new way of working has got a name. Who knew? I certainly didn't. No, I didn't, not until you told me, Heather. The hybrid workplace is the workplace of the future. And this week we've decided to take a more in-depth look at what this might mean for those of us who have the ability and the inclination to work in in a location other than our office. Now, Tracy, given that you have now heard of the hybrid workplace, what are your thoughts on it? I I think I've been doing this for a little while anyway, Um, but in in the workplace, COVID has accelerated the move and encouraged more people in my current workplace to be hybrid. So we've we've almost formalised it now. We've got a rotor as to who's in the office and who's working from home. But I think in its truest sense, it's about giving your team more freedom. And they have the sort of the flexibility to choose where they're working and, and what's working for them. I think the idea is that they, they fit their work around the rest of their lives. And I think the true hybrid workplace, you're looking at them working whatever hours they want and whatever day of the week they want. But there's a real mixture. So I think there are hybrid hybrids as well, aren't there? Yeah. And I think it, yeah, it, it, also, it depends a little bit on how far you want to take it. As we've had um, people go back to work, there's been this, you know, working from home some of the time, working in the office some of the time. But then actually you could have people permanently working from home with occasional trips into the office. It, it, it really it really and you could get rid of all of your your most of your office space. Uh, it really does depend. There are quite a few articles um, on this subject. Uh, and the term I found this term being referred to as early as 2016, but I think it's really, understandably, has come to the fore um, in in recent months. Now the BBC ran an article about what the future of work might be, um, and they they quote some stats um, from the USA in a survey that was conducted in May showed that 55% of US workers want a mixture of home and office working. And in the, uh, in the UK, employers expect the, the proportion of regular home workers to double from 18% pre-pandemic to 37% post-pandemic. And over in China, um, an employment expert has predicted that in 10 years time, there will be a 60-40 split of on-site slash remote work so i think it's something that's going to progress and develop uh and and as i said earlier the basically it's about freedom as you've already said but there there are quite a few places where they've talked about um having people there's a, an organization called kiss flow who yes. um have you all right so they've yes, got working, they've got a working model haven't they um, oh there we go yeah called yeah. remote plus so you found this yes yeah okay so you tell you tell me about it (laughs) um so the this is a three weeks of working from anywhere you want and one week working in Mm. the office Mm. interesting thing that i noted is that the company also covers cost of accommodation if you want to 
use um, a shared office space somewhere if you want to um, go into an office rather than working from home, which I thought was an interesting development. And um, I think the other one I saw, did you see this one um, about GitLab? I think um, the CEO of GitLab was talking okay. about the worst of both, both worlds, but actually yeah. in, in their um, workplace, um, they've got entirely remote workforce. And so everybody is um, renting an office or co-working space, which they pay for. They can visit each other for work as well. So it's, although they're remote, they are actually encouraged to meet. But it was interesting that the CEO of GitLab was saying that when you have this hybrid model, that's when you can have some problems because the people in the office tend to have a disproportionate share of power. So their office regulars will sort of be in the in crowd compared to the home workers so this is where the ceo of gitlab is saying they're totally remote where and with hybrid you have to be careful not to get the in crowd and the out crowd sort of situation um, yeah. so that um, you, you don't cause a, a weird mix with your company culture yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that, you know, there needs to be training done around that. I've come across an event that's taking place, a virtual conference that's taking place on the 22nd of October, um, which is called The Future of Work. I um, thought the same my... one. <laughs> oh, well, let there you go. Guess. Are you booked on? No, well, not yet, but let me guess why it caught your eye. Yeah, it, go one on. One of the speakers is Dame Stephanie Shirley, and you're yeah. her chief stalker. <laughs> one of our, yeah, one of our favourite ladies. But it actually looks really interesting. There are the, the various things on the agenda, looking at some of the different elements that you need to think about, particularly in um, in training. You know, so um, thinking about uh, whether you know, so building trust. You know, a lot of the home working, um, a lot of businesses had reluctance to having people working from home because they didn't trust that people would be working. People at home didn't trust that people in the office would be um, giving them the real deal, telling them, you know, everything. So there's lots of different things on the agenda. And I think that I think it just looks like I've I've booked uh, because I think that it's it's going to be it's going to cover so many different strands so many different elements some will be it's relevant free to, as well isn't it and it's free yeah, yeah 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 some relevant to some businesses some relevant to others but uh yeah so you obviously you found that yeah was it dame stephanie that attracted you to it um i i get a daily um email from management today and i just noticed it was in that email so um, it, it was just a timely um, arrival in my inbox. But then when I saw Dame Stephanie Shirley, I did think I bet Heather's seen this one too. <laughs> but interestingly enough, when we talked about um, Dame Shirley, we said that she was, you know, ahead of her time, wasn't she? And actually the, the interview that she's part of, um, she's been interviewed um, about what today's businesses can learn from an early pioneer of flexible working. She did so much when she set up her business that was ahead of its time, including remote working. So I think it, it's a, a wonderful recognition that this isn't brand new. You know, people have been there, done that and made a success of it. So I think it's really inspirational for companies who are going down that route to see, you know, that this can work. 
Absolutely. And can I just flag up a report that you may have seen that was conducted, um, some research conducted that a DECO group, the recruitment, uh, the, the recruitment company have, have published. Um, they, they surveyed 8,000 white collar workers across eight countries from Australia to Japan to the UK and USA. And they talked about how the pandemic had changed the way that people work. Um, but it, it also looked at what leadership skills will, will people need to be able to manage this? Um, and, you know, what does the end of the nine to five actually mean? It's a really good report. It's got lots of fascinating stats. I mean, I, I've, I've printed a copy off, not least because I like to have a tangible copy of things, as you know. But actually some of the graphs where people are talking about whether they should main fle maintain flexibility over their working hours or whether the company should, what employers think versus what employees think. Uh, so there's some really interesting data. Um, and it, the one thing that I thought was particularly interesting is that they asked people what percentage of their working week they would like to be working from home, working from the office or other. Um, and the the ideal allocation of time, according to these the, the staff, is that they spend 45% of their time working from home, 51% of their time in the office, and 4% working elsewhere. And I think that means that sometimes you might want to be working from somebody else's house or from a hotel or from your caravan at the coast or whatever it might be it doesn't mean that you're not able to work uh, I thought that was really interesting that actually the balance was 51% of their time in the office and so some really interesting stats in there uh, and, uh, and I'll put a link to this as, as well as some of the the other things that we've mentioned on our website which is the business.community you're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM. And in other news, I found an article that actually relates to our topical discussion about the hybrid workplace. And actually, when I first read this, I was completely horrified. Calmed down a little bit by the time I got to the end of the article. But Heather, see what you think. This was an article on BBC this week, and it's about um, a gentleman called Shibu Philip. He's the founder of a company called Transcend, um, and he runs a company that buys beauty products wholesale and then sells them online. And he employs seven people, all based in India, as they're all remote workers. But what he's been doing is using software called Hubstaff and this is valid software, not a hack, to track his workers' hours, keystrokes, mouse movements, and websites visited. And apparently, they all know, all the employees know that the software's there, and they can spend their, some time to adjust the logs that are made of them in case they visited websites by accident or during their break. Um, but he says that it ensures there's some level of accountability and helps plug the time difference. So I, I was completely horrified at the thought that somebody didn't trust his staff enough to be able to um, allow them to do their work. But then I thought, well, maybe he's never even met his staff either. And he, it is 
completely based on trust and they're outsourced in India. But I still still couldn't quite let it settle with me. Uh, reading further on in the article, it says a recent study at Cardiff University and the University of Southampton found a common fear amongst bosses is that out-of-sight workers will shirk. And I think we can probably accept that a lot of managers have that fear. Um, but there's no evidence that um, their output was affected by working from home during lockdown. And I think the evidence is showing that people have been um, productive at home. Interestingly enough, this survey done by Cardiff and the University of Southampton did suggest that a third of home workers um, said that their productivity had now fallen working from home. So I, I, I don't really know. But what do you think? Is technology the way to encourage people to not slack off? I mean, do you not slack off in the workplace? I mean, for me, taking a trip to the coffee machine or taking a walk to the printer, having a little walk around the factory, I don't see that as slacking off. But it does take me away from my desk and helps me to have a, a, a clearer head and be able to work, work more efficiently. So I, I don't know if, if I felt like I was tied to my computer, whether that would be making the best use of me not sure Heather what do you think I'm not comfortable with it I think you know why would you employ somebody that you don't trust I, I, I just think that that's you know naive if not foolhardy uh, yes I understand that um, there may be people who you know are less um, well no I guess the thing is some people will achieve the same in less time and so it has to be about outputs. I think yeah. you know, we've, we've talked in the past about, you know, if you, if you do a, it, presenteeism, if you do a job of work and you achieve what's expected, as an employer, you set the rules. This is what I want you to achieve. Actually, it doesn't really matter how, how you do it. Uh, yeah. Social, we've already talked during lockdown, you know, people who need other people probably will spend more time at the coffee machine, but they'll come back energized and refreshed. Whereas somebody who doesn't really need people probably bring their own coffee, not that bothered about having a chat, um, might be using their mouse more often, but are they achieving anything more or less? Yeah, yeah. not comfortable with it. I think the focus is on the wrong thing. The focus perhaps should be on defining um, what output you're expecting. Absolutely. And, and yeah. defining the goals for your employees rather than just watching what they do. It's quite yeah. horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's put that one away, but I hope that doesn't become popular. Um, the software is called Hubstaff. If anybody out there is listening and thinking, wow, that's perfect for me, um, I'd be really interested <laughs> <laughs> to know what you're thinking is on yeah. that one. Yeah, what's your uh, rationale? <laughs> and the other thing you couldn't fail to see on the news, it's all over the internet this week, is about Amazon's new payment system, which is basically the palm of your hand it's called amazon one scammer scanner not scammer mm, Freud oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what it does is it takes an image of your palm and you can hover your hand over the reader for about a second or so it says and apparently it's similar to um using the fingerprint but it's um better it, it captures patterns on your um, palm um, and veins and, and things that it can see um, hidden underneath the skin surface 
and makes forgery extremely difficult. Um, the level of genuinely contactless. It is genuinely contactless. You don't put your finger on a scanner, you mm. hover your hand above it. Apparently, it is similar to a fingerprint scan, but with all these other benefits in that it's um, it's distanced and you know it, it's actually more difficult perhaps to forge. So I, I quite like the idea of hovering my hand. Um, it, it doesn't seem any less safe than hovering a card anywhere or, or waving my phone and hoping that Apple Pay works because I haven't quite mastered that yet. <laughs> Do you know, my husband uses that quite a lot and I have used it, but I don't trust in it enough to not go with my card as well. <laughs> yes, I <laughs> have. Case, and then I'm like, I can't pay for my shopping. Which yeah. He will. He'll, he'll, he'll trust his, his phone to, to pay for stuff. Yeah, yeah, I haven't quite got there yet. I've, yeah. I've always gone with the multiple forms of payments. Mm, yeah. But if I could just yeah. take my hand and I know my hand works, well. We'll see, yeah. won't we? That's Amazon for you. <laughs> but what happens if you injure your hand? Um, maybe there's enough patterns on the rest of your hand. Because I know that sometimes fingerprint scans mm. can be difficult if you've got a cut on your finger, but mm. your palm's so much bigger, so maybe it can take other parts of your hand. Tell you what I have found difficult is the face ID on my iPhone. When oh, you especially when you're wearing a mask. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It can recognise me in the dark. It can recognise me with different pairs of glasses on. It can't recognise me with a mask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm holding my phone wondering why it doesn't know who I am. <laughs> yeah, you've got your face covered. <laughs> so what have you found in other news this week, Heather? Well, um, I've got a couple of stories. The first, it's not so much um, the story itself, it's just the enormity of it. Uh, apparently, over over the weekend, so I think Sunday through into Monday, um, Microsoft had a massive Office 365 outage. Basically, people who use Teams use 365. Um, we use uh, cloud-based services. It, it, it was completely inaccessible, but not just inaccessible in one area, but on a global scale. And it just made me think, goodness me, I know we're experiencing coronavirus on a global scale, but imagine one organization having something that happens that affects people all over the planet. I just thought it was incredible and it just goes to show what a massive machine Microsoft is, even though we kind of already knew it. I just thought, crikey, that's like, you know, all over the world, people are waking up and going, I can't get on. I can't get on. I can't get on. I can't get on to Teams. I can't get on to... And you think with the remote working, you know, you're relying on Teams to, to make contact probably your calendars in Outlook, all of your documents are in the oh, cloud yeah. in OneDrive or SharePoint. Oh, gosh, it's terrifying thought. I know. Well, you know, I mean, you know, just as individuals within an organisation, if somebody can't get on the internet, you know, do you remember people go, I oh, can't get on the internet, can you get on the internet? And there's this, sort of, but imagine that around the world. I can't get authentication to get into my cloud-based um, system. I just thought it was incredible. Um, a massive massive organization and then slightly closer to home or, or on a much a smaller scale we've talked a lot in the past about retail and the various measures that supermarkets have been putting in place 
um, not just during COVID, but previously in terms of online shopping, click and collect, um, do your own shopping, get it delivered for free, all of those types of things. Well, apparently uh, this week, the BBC ran a story saying that Aldi are starting to dip their toe in the online shopping pool. Uh, they're going to start doing click and collect in a number of stores uh, to see how it goes. Uh, traditionally, you, you know, the so-called discount stores, you basically you go, you do everything yourself, you know, you pack yourself. So the idea that now you can actually um, click online and it be delivered to you is, is a whole new thing. So, so I click wonder... and collect or home delivery, is that? This is click and collect. Okay, so I've seen a, um, a meme on Facebook where, where they're saying, what, what if Aldi now do home deliveries? And then there's a, the delivery person standing at the front door throwing all the items one at a time up the, uh, up the corridor. So, yeah, really quickly, here you go, here you go. <laughs> that made me laugh. So I yeah. wasn't sure if they were doing home deliveries yet. but uh, uh, At the moment, I think it's click and collect. But hey, it, it could just be a matter of time before you, you literally just have to stand and just watch it all being thrown onto your doorstep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that's all. That's all the news that um, I've got this week. But I think it's. I, I think the the story that you picked up on um, the the Amazon Pay one, as you say, it's been everywhere. It's been in tech magazines. It's been on the BBC. It, it's it's big news. It's a big story. I wonder how it will pan out. In our discovery section this week, I'm going to mention a book that has been sitting on my bookcase for quite a while. I don't really know where it came from. I don't really know how I come to have it. Is somebody but, else's name written on the inside cover? Like this book belongs to John yeah. Bloggs? No, no. Um, but, and I haven't, I haven't read it, but I've been, I've been looking at it this week. Cause I was kind of like, what, well, what is that all about? It's, it was published back in 2016 and it's called Unsubscribe. How to Kill Email Anxiety, Avoid Distractions and Get Real Work Done. And I thought in these, in these days of overwhelm, I mean, once upon a time, email was all that we needed to worry about. Nowadays, you've got email. You know, has somebody emailed me? Did they WhatsApp me? Did they messenger me? Did they, did they put a message on Slack? You know, where did stuff come from? And I find myself constantly searching to try and find things. Um, using the search box because I, I just I, I can't remember where it all came from but it's um it's it's written by a, a, um Jocelyn Gley or Gley I'm not sure G-L-E-I um and it's got some illustrations by somebody with a fantastic name Tomba Lobos oh that's a brilliant name. name uh and it talks as you might expect about email uh, it starts off talking about why are we so, why is email so addictive? Why do we constantly keep checking our email or why do we constantly keep checking our phones? And, the, and they, they talk about um, an experiment that um, somebody called Mr. Skinner did. I can't remember what his first name was, uh, where he used with rats. I know that's a bit controversial, but back in the day uh, where he they pressed a button and they got food right so they learned that and then he changed it so that sometimes they they didn't get food every time sometimes they get food every 100 presses 
Oh, you're talking about BF Skinner, I think. Is it BF? BF Skinner, I think. BF yes, it is. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Back in the 30s. There we go. BF Skinner. Uh, and and the, the rats, it, it got to a stage where the rats didn't know how often they were going to get food, but they still kept pressing the button because it's the idea of there being some gratification, some reward. And that's kind of what happens with email. Um, the book goes on to talk about, um, you know, how to how to manage this feeling of overwhelm. There are some really interesting tips and techniques. Um, one thing that I thought was particularly interesting is um, the author says, don't let default settings dictate your workflow. So every every email software comes with some default settings about how email is going to be, arrive with you how often you know how often it's going to arrive what's going to happen to it when it does arrive and we just accept it whereas actually we can put some limits and restrictions on that we can set some rules we could which most of us don't do we just get here's a mailbox at best we get a few folders where we sort of file stuff away but actually determining anything that comes from there or with that in the subject I don't want to deal with straight away. I want to park that. Making some choices about how you, how and when you look at um, when you look at your mail. Uh, it, she goes on then to talk about, and I'm assuming Jocelyn is a woman. It may be that Jocelyn is a man because I think it could be, I think it could be a man or a woman's name. Anyway, Jocelyn um, talks about how to write in your emails. What, you know how to convey the message that you want and the back of the book has got some fantastic sort of suggested scripts as to how to pitch something how to let somebody down how to ask your boss for something um how to make an approach to somebody that you admire or i don't mean i don't think it means in a like a dating kind of way i think it means <laughs> in a i love your work would you like to you know could you send me something or could you critique this or whatever but the one bit that caught my eye was about email signatures and i'm going to have to really seriously review my email signature okay. because it talks it talks about don't don't how many it says how many times have you got an email where the, the signature was 10 times longer than the email oh yes <laughs> it's full of buy this click on this so i don't have that in my email signature but i need to think about perhaps streamlining it and does um does the author say that that's because it's annoying or it just takes up space what what's the reason behind because it's streamline it? if you want if you want people to respond then uh, and you and you want to set the right impression then if you're emailing somebody and it looks like you're trying to sell them stuff it, make sure that your footer your your email signature actually has a point not just a load of random information yeah uh, if you want people to subscribe to your newsletter then of course put something if it's going to be helpful to the people that you're contacting yeah not so just try a scatter approach with everybody exactly. yeah. yeah so i think i might need to review that and then finally one thing that um that is mentioned and this is something you you may have heard of but 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 i haven't um this is a way of actually parking your email so that it doesn't it doesn't doesn't check so um the um the the it's like a little widget and it's called inboxpause.com 
And this extension allows you to pause your incoming mail so that you're not distracted by incoming messages when you're dealing with the mail that you've already got or that you're working on a particular project. So, you know, we all have alerts. Even if you close Outlook, you've probably got a little alert saying you've got messages. You can actually park it and you could have a footer that says, I check my emails twice a day or whatever it might be. So it's it helps because always, I don't know about you, but when something a bit more shiny and attractive comes in, I'm like, oh yeah, that looks really interesting <laughs> rather than actually getting on with what I'm meant to be doing. Yes, absolutely. I've seen that advice um, from numerous people actually, um, people who are talking about being effective with their working lives and they, and they actually say, to put that as an autoresponder on your email so people know not to expect an instant response. Yeah. And I think once people know that you only check your emails twice a day, you've managed their expectations and then they're not sending you another one, chasing you up or ringing you up to say, did you get the email, which is a yeah. common one, isn't it? So my you dad used to do that. my email, did you get it? <laughs> yes, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's unsubscribe um, by Jocelyn Gly or Glay. Uh, as I say, I have no idea why I've got it, but it's actually a really good book. Um, <laughs> and I'll put a link to that um, on our website, thebusiness.community. What's your discovery this week, Tracy? Well, I got? discovered disappointment today. So we're recording this the day before the show goes live. I had it all lined up that I was going to attend a webinar hosted by CIPD, uh, a regional event. And um, just this afternoon, I had an email to say that due to technical problems, they've postponed the event. And so there, there went my plans. I was going to do a really fresh review of what had gone on in that webinar. And it was actually a really relevant topic. So um, the subject was HR best practice during COVID. And actually, you know, there's so much going on at the moment that you think you're doing things right, but actually it doesn't hurt to just hear it said again or to try um, looking at it from a different point of view. So I went from that disappointment onto another one. Now I'm not going to name the company or even give any details of what the webinar was that I sat through, um, but that certainly wasn't going to be a topic of discovery conversation um, Oops. <laughs> today. Uh, I, I, I could see its merit, but I couldn't honestly say I enjoyed it. So we're getting a little bit close to the time to record and I thought right where am I going? Let's go and see what's new in TED and actually I went down a rabbit hole as we often do with these things. I didn't discover something new, I discovered something new to me and that is the books section in TED. I've not really looked there so I've, I've um, listened to TED radio and I've seen the TEDx talks and the um, standard TED talks, seen the events and the blog and lots of different things, but I hadn't actually gone down uh, the route of looking at TED books. And what it says in that little section is now you can dig deeper into new ideas with new original books from TED. Long enough to explore a powerful idea, but short enough to read in a single sitting. Sounds like just my type of book. Um, <laughs> And they promise here that TED Books pick up from where TED Talks leave off. And it covers everything from architecture to business, space travel to love. And I thought, oh, this is new. And when I looked, actually, it's been around for a few years. 
so like I say it's just new to me so I honed in on the business section and they actually do box sets as well so the TED books box set called the business mind contains three books um, one's called payoff by a gentleman whose book we've already reviewed Dan Arley you know we are rubbish at saying people's surnames yeah. we should just come out and say it confidently and pretend we know how these things are pronounced. we've met them yes um another book called beyond measure by Harg margaret heffernan and one called why we work by barry schwartz and if you click on buy now i was quite surprised to see it takes you to amazon so you don't buy it through ted they sell them through amazon so I didn't buy anything, but what I also saw was that on a number of their publications, they come with accompanied with a TED Talk video. So uh, one of the books on here had the associated TED Talk with it. So Why We Work by Barry Schwartz, um, and he's um, an academic who studies the link between economics, psychology, and modern life. And this TED Talk has had... 3.4 million views it's been around since march 2014 and it's called the way we think about work is broken just a short ted talk but one which makes you then think you know what i could actually buy that book having read this and so his short ted talk is just about what makes work satisfying he refers to um the adam smith who we've talked about before and his perhaps warped view of um, society and economics um, and that's my own opinion I'm not expressing the opinion there of the radio station or indeed Heather um, but he, he, he says there's new ways of thinking if we stop thinking about workers as cogs on a wheel he refers refers to a phrase called idea technology and goes into a little bit more depth but it's what 15 minute talk but it was enough to make me think actually I'd quite like to read his book so if you're exploring and just wondering, you know, I fancy a bit of interest in reading material, it's probably worth looking at. If you like TED Talks anyway, the people that are writing these books are the quality of speaker, academic or, or personality that has done a really good TED Talk and they've written a book as well. So that's my discovery. After that's a bit nice. of a full start, I'm actually really quite pleased with what I've discovered. Yeah. This that sounds good. I'll certainly be checking that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, what? So, are there lots of books? Um, I couldn't see a massive number. Maybe um, twenty or so. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time delving down because I found this little bit that I wanted to focus in on. But they are right. There is a real range of books. What I'd really like to see is the hard copy, and and see if they are nice little hand size like short read read in one sitting type books um and i think there were a few of them available you could get them on kindle which of course you're not going to be interested in heather um, and some were available secondhand as well so it might be that you could pick up a, a bit of a bargain and just broaden your horizons that way this week on the business community we're profiling Sarah Beanie or Sarah Lucinda Beanie. She's a broadcaster and entrepreneur and you will know her no doubt from the television programs she's been in. 
if like me you're into property porn then you will have seen quite a few of the programs that she's hosted um property ladder property snakes and ladders help my house is falling down streets ahead britain's best act she's been in a lot of tv programs she's one of those sort of personalities that actually I, I didn't know much about so i was really pleased when you put her forward as a candidate to profile this week heather why did you choose sarah beanie had you got a particular uh, angle into it or she just pop up on a list somewhere no, well, I think what it was, it's because we talked about about Jay Blades last week, and yeah. I was thinking about how people have turned. So Sarah Beanie, you know, she started off as a small time property developer, and then became this massive TV character with her own product TV company, and this massive house, Rise Hall, that she's renovated, and and it's just how something very small or seemingly very small I'm, I'm sure she was working incredibly hard um to achieve then just grew exponentially and there's that element of celebrity around it as well so that was that was purely and simply why her name sprung to mind it's sort of like the 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 ying to um jay blades's yang i suppose yeah <laughs> well I, I did a little bit of uh a look on company's house of course and she's got four current appointments uh, sweeney llp uh knockers group limited um, which i thought was maybe to do with door furniture but is actually a television production company gsss llp and caneham estates limited um not a lot of information i could glean from any of those but most of it seems to be property or tv related anyway um heather where else did you go with your research well i think what's really interesting is that she seems she she seems to have quite a few um alternative um income streams so she as you might expect she runs an online estate agency uh, which is called um tepilo.com so that's like a fixed fee sell your house for about 900 quid uh, website um, and that um, uh, experienced some 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 significant losses um, sometime in the past but then the absolute curveball for me is that she runs a website called mysinglefriend.com which is a dating website and to me that's not an obvious it's not an obvious link. She seems to have been in a relationship for a very long time, married for a number of years, you know, settled for want of a better word. Where, how do you go from property to, to dating? I, I, I just, I don't know, couldn't make the connection myself. <laughs> I did notice that as she started her business, like you say, she's uh, known her husband for a while. She started her first property development business at the age of 19 with her um, then boyfriend who's now her husband um, so she, you know she's um, born in 72 so it, she's been in business and been an entrepreneur in, in this line of work for a long time and like you say with her husband um, for quite a while so yeah it doesn't doesn't seem like an immediate choice but then again you know if you spot an opportunity you you take it perhaps yeah and i think that that's certainly what i think she she's probably a true entrepreneur i think that the the, the one other thing because the um 
there's there's this house called Rise Hall that she and her part her husband I think he was at the time then um they bought a 29 bedroom mansion in East Yorkshire wow and they then made a television program about renovating it and I think that's genius the likes of Dick Strawbridge has, has done that a few times you know living off grid his chateau in France all of those types of things they've now sold that um house for 1.4 million uh, having bought it in 2001 for 440,000. So I'm hoping that they turned a reasonable profit on that. Yes. Uh, it's that true entrepreneur spirit, I think. So, yeah, but, but then she also is involved with a couple of charities. So I quite like that brain tumor research, um, which is as you would expect it to be, but also a charity called cardboard. Do you see that cardboard citizens? citizens. Yeah. Yeah, did you did you check that out or did you? I didn't go down that particular route. No, it's a professional theatre company for people who are homeless. Oh, well, she did start off um, wanting to be an actress. I understand. So, reading in um, one article, it says she she was going down that route, but didn't actually get into um, theatre school. I don't think in, into drama school. But that might explain how she ended up getting into television because she obviously did a lot of. Um, theatre work and I think it was a, a chance meeting with a friend's aunt or friend's mum or something that was looking for talent and um, they spotted it in her and that's how she got into television. Mm -hmm. Interesting she's clearly I've not been able to find anything about the way she manages people the way she runs her businesses so that's all quite closed down it's just very much the personality and the persona but um, but an interesting an interesting person to have done some research into uh, even if she ke keeps her cards quite close to her chest no pun intended <laughs> she also does a, a podcast as well called round the houses with sarah beanie um and this one i would have preferred it to have pictures because <laughs> she interviews famous guests about their homes and their lives and actually that you know they talk about their homes i want to see their homes as well <laughs> but um yeah th she's got quite an interesting um list of former guests including joe sug julian clary uh, june sarpong joe wood lynn bowles tim lovejoy um, I, I listened to the Lynn Bowles on it's very sweet it's very nice it's very very nicely done podcast so that's it round the houses with Sarah Beanie listen to our podcast first then potentially go and listen to Sarah Beanie's podcast <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.